Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And if you have been following me on social media, not, we haven't talked about it yet here because this just happened, but things uh, in life have gotten a little crazy. And I, I want to speak to this in two different perspectives. One is as a coach, as somebody who works with people who want to perform better, I'm an avid believer that we need to act before we think. Now, there's times in life that we should definitely think before we act, but when we get hits of inspiration, when we get ideas for things, our brains are going to try to talk us out of everything. And some of the magic of life is like, we get this hit and we just got to go with it. We can't try to figure out how or how to get it right. We just got to like run forward. And this, so we're recording this, but about a, a few days before we recorded this, like four days before we started, before this episode is being recorded. I was sitting in Santa Barbara with my cousin, who some of you know, is like one of my best friends. And we're talking about my dating history. And she's telling the bartender about my dating history, who's her really good friends from when she went to college in Santa Barbara. And he goes, I don't get it. Like, what's the deal? And it's, we're just like, oh, he just like picks the worst people. And I say that with like, I don't pick, I've dated some amazing people. I don't mean to say that in a bad way, but in worst for me, like they're incompatible with who I am and who they are and what they want and, and whatnot. And he goes, I don't get it. And I was like, you know, in a joking sense, if you're beautiful, if you're passionate about something and you're intelligent, you could be dressed in a red flag and I won't see it. And he, they started laughing and we made a joke and it's like, well, what if you just didn't pick your own dates? And we started having a, a, we started joking about this and we were like, yeah, like, what if it was like, what if Brittany, my cousin chose my dates for me? And like, I just had to go out with whoever she said. And what if somebody else? And then it was like, man, I really want to be, I would love to be on the bachelor. And, but even on the bachelor, the guys have to pick who, you know, the women or the men bachelor or bachelorette have to pick. And then it was like, well, what if you had like a little group of people who know you and love you and have your best interest in mind and they pick who you date. And then this quickly rolled off into, in 2020, I was supposed to, I had a friend who's getting married in Tulum. Um, I was dating a girl at the beginning of 2020. I bought tickets for us. I bought the, got the resort, all these things. And we broke up. So now I have tickets and nobody. And then me and an ex got back together and she was going to go on this trip with me. And then we broke up and then I dated somebody else and she was going to go. And by the end of 2020, the trip, the wedding had been canceled. The airline went out of business. So the tickets were gone and three people that had been invited to Tulum were no longer part of my life. So then the joke was how many people are going to get invited to Tulum? And in this conversation that all was taking place, it was like, I don't think I should be inviting people. <laughs> I don't think. And then it was like, are the tickets cursed? Is this an opportunity? What's going on? And basically, um, a reality show got created on the spot. And now if you go to thedreammason.com slash the Tulum trip, you can apply to come to Tulum with me. And five of my friends, I'm not choosing, but five of my friends are getting to decide who gets to go to Tulum with me. And they are a mix between women and men, family and friends, colleagues, straight and gay and bi or how, you know, but there is a mix of sexual identities, male and female and how they connect to me, but they are choosing. And in the last four days this got created. So it went from this silly idea 
to a website, to social media, to yesterday, someone we know in the news was like, we might want to run this as like a local story. Um, and this morning, right before I actually signed on here, I got a message from a man online who said, my girlfriend just applied to go to Tulum with you. Thank you for giving me a reason to end my relationship. Now I just have to call the moving van. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Um, and now I'm going to introduce you to my guest because I feel like she's going to have something to share um, about this topic. So my guest today, there's so many things I could say, but uh, she, I'm going to say the thing first that I think people are going to know. Do you remember the show HQ Trivia? It was like an online game show. I remember playing this on my phone and being so frustrated with why you couldn't get past a certain point. She was the host of this show or this online game show. She's done red carpet interviews. Um, she's done infomercials. She was on Ellen. She is an actress, um, a host of shows and voiceovers. Her Instagram is hilarious. Um, she's just like a ball of energy and personality. And maybe by the end of the show, you'll want to come to Tulum with me, but that's like a whole separate thing. Sarah Priebus, thanks for being here on the Dream Mason podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I was waiting to see how this was going to segue into my intro um, because I am wearing a literal red flag. Um, (laughs) For anyone that's not watching this and is just listening, I have a red polka dot dress on. That's why I said that. But yes, I have many comments. First, I'm, I'm glad you explained the act before you think concept because in, in the sense that you explained it, it definitely makes sense. Um, but normally I actually have a motto to sort of pause before reacting because, you know, I want to shoot off that email that's angry instead of actually thinking about it and then, you know, regretting it later. So yes, in the circumstances that you explained, absolutely. And uh, reality show. Wow. Uh, I think this is a great concept. I have recently gotten into reality shows, which I hate to admit because uh, as an actress for a long time, I was very resentful of reality shows and the fact that they took work away from us. But now, I mean, I'm dying to get on a reality show. I'm like, whatever path you got to go on to get to, you know, whatever your goals are or whatever door might open that's meant for you, do it. So reality shows are are definitely one of those things. And I'm kind of obsessed. So I'm going to have to watch this. I don't know if I'll be applying because I am in a nine year relationship at this point and I won't be. I don't want an <laughs> email from him. Applying and then having my boyfriend reach out to you and saying thank you. Um, but I will definitely be a viewer. That's for sure. I don't, yeah. And I don't know. There's no cameras. We don't have it set up like that. It's, we're joking that it's like becoming, right? It's like having, having a reality show mentality. Um, if, it actually got filmed. This is a whole different, we need contracts and like all sorts of things. I'm also like, do I need contracts? If I, somebody goes like, what if they fall on the beach and they're like, I signed up for your game show. I'm suing you. Um, It's funny you say that about being an actress and reality TV. I was in my old life when I used to open and run restaurants for a living, I hated reality TV. Like thought it was like what was making our society fall apart. And then I was on reality shows in the food world and was like, this is so fun. And now I look back and I think what I'm hearing from you is like, if you're just having a good time and it feels good, then there's nothing like, and it's not hurting anyone. There's nothing wrong with it. Absolutely. And also it's just great mindless entertainment for me. I call them my treadmill shows. So like, it's the only time I'm allowed to watch them and it's my incentive to get to the gym. So And I don't have to watch. I don't need to see what's happening. I can almost listen to it like a podcast so I can actually keep my head up and sort of run and even look at like one of those courses when I'm doing it. Um, So yeah, I I have turned reality shows into a reason to go to the gym and exercise at this point. And yeah, I mean, there are so many concepts. I mean, I will say this and I've been wanting to make a sketch around it, but I, I haven't quite figured out the concept. I do feel that people in relationships are at a disadvantage because so many of them are around dating and I want to be on a reality show. And like, I can't apply to literally 80% of them without risk of ending my own relationship. And yeah, temptation (laughs) Island is not something that I'm looking to do. (laughs) 
No, you don't want to be on too hot to handle. That's no, not- <laughs> no, that's not for me. Yeah, exactly. So someone needs to come up with a reality show concept that doesn't put people in relationships, uh, you know, at a disadvantage. Yeah, the only relationship reality show is like the one where you like have all the problems and you have to sit with a therapist like in Malibu with all the with other celebrities that have messed up relationships. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's funny you say the treadmill thing, because now so if somebody sees you at the gym, what are they expecting you? What 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 can they know you're watching? What do you well, what do you? I was watching complete trash, complete trash. Like I was watching this show on MTV called Are You the One? I'm actually I cannot believe I'm admitting this. It's such garbage. Um, and, but I ran out of seasons. I ran out of free seasons, I should say. Um, and there's like nine of them. So now I've moved on to, this is also, have you heard of the show sex life on Netflix? It's so good. It's so bad, but it's so good. I started watching that, which is also not a great idea for someone to watch me watching at the gym because it is very sexy. And like just this morning, I was literally on the elliptical and there was there is a sex scene in a pool. And I was like, oh, someone could, you know, look over and be like, OK, I see what she is watching at the gym. I've also, though, been known to watch. Um, I can't remember the show right now, but I watched a show that was super sad and literally would be running on the treadmill crying at the gym. So I guess I just have no. I don't have any shame. I don't really, I guess I just don't really care. I'm going to watch what I'm going to watch. I'm with you. I've been on an airplane before watching a show like Sex Life, right? It's a regular show, right? We're not watching porn on an airplane or at the gym, but it's that like line, right? There's that thin line. And I've looked over my shoulder and like, there's a kid sitting, you know, I'm on the aisle and there's a kid sitting in the other aisle. And I'm like, do I like cover my screen or there's like an old person? And I'm like, don't like, am I being judged? Can they see or is no one actually paying attention? I started watching and it's the best. So I hate I when I do cardio, I Peloton, but I hate being yelled at. I can't stand people yelling at me to do stuff. So and I actually will like be resentful. So I don't use the classes. I just put on the black screen and ride and push myself. But I watch Too Hot to Handle because it's hard to not want to ride harder and faster when you're staring at like 15 people that are just basically human abs with tattoos and bad personalities. (laughs) It's that's a good incentive as well. I also watch Too Hot to Handle on the on while doing cardio and I don't know. It's just another it's it's also complete and utter garbage, but <laughs> I still watched it. Like I mean, it's I definitely there's something about I guess all of these shows that is intriguing enough, you know, these personalities, these people choosing to put themselves um in these situations on camera. And yeah, I mean, it definitely doesn't hurt to look at a bunch of six packs and beautiful butts while you're doing it. No, super. I finished cardio yesterday and I was like, well, now I have to do abs for like four hours while I'm watching the rest of this season. Um, Okay. So let's talk about you like a little bit more from reality. Like you, I know a little bit of your story. Like you moved out of, you were from the East coast. You came out to Los Angeles. I actually saw a video you did the other day about how you got like convinced to come out to California for pilot season. And that like, just didn't go the way that, that you thought it was going to go. Um, what I'd love to hear about, like, is that idea of, right. You got, you had this kind of like vision come out, you know, for, for a career and a dream, and then it doesn't go the way that you think. And often that's how life goes, right. We, we start a company. It doesn't go the way we think I'm doing this dating thing. And like some of the applicants are not who I would wish would be applying, but how do we, like what gave you the resolve to kind of like stick with it and stay and keep going? You know, even though I want to say like you, it didn't go the way you wanted when you first came out here. Well, I think, you know, being someone who works in entertainment and again, this goes well beyond the field of entertainment or media, like you said, entrepreneurs. I mean, so many people can relate to trying to pursue a dream or to pursue anything and there being multiple obstacles, um, and things that get in the way of that. And, but I think for acting in particular, it's like rejection after rejection after rejection. And you just have to develop the thick skin or you leave. Like you're like, this isn't for me because I'll just put it this way. In the last four days, I've had 20 auditions 
wait, that's, that's double. Actually, I've had 10 auditions, right? So I've had 10 auditions in the last four days. I don't even know if I'm going to book one of them. Like if I got one callback, maybe two, I'd be happy. Now those jobs, like getting that many auditions is so rare. This it's, 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 you know, a numbers game. And I'm normally like submitting for tons and tons and tons of jobs. My agents are submitting me for jobs. And so the fact that I actually had that many to begin with in the last couple of days, like those were pretty great odds. And so it's just, a, and, and you're never hearing back. So it's mostly like, you're putting yourself out there. You're not hearing anything. And like, you just like, have to ask yourself, am I, am I good? Like, do I want to do this? Like, am I just pounding the pavement for no reason? Um, so, you know, I think in the world that I'm in, you know, it has been my story since I started doing this. So, you know, I went to NYU when, and I was 18 in the Big Apple studying theater. And then I stayed in New York all throughout my twenties. Um, you know, and I did, like you said, commercials, infomercials, TV, film, all kinds of stuff, hosting gigs. Um, and so I'm used to it, I guess, at this point, it does get easier because you sort of start to realize that you can't take these things personally. You know, it, it, a lot of times it's your hair color or who, you know, or whatever, it could be any number of things, or you're just not the right vibe for the role. Um, or your tape was sent too late and it literally didn't even get seen, whatever. Um, so you can let those things sort of roll off you. And when I went out to LA, yeah, that was pretty much after you mentioned HQ Trivia. So it was right in the height of HQ Trivia. And I had had a couple of great opportunities sort of come my way in, in the form of big time producers and agents who were like, hey, we want to help you. We think you're great. Um, come on out here to the West Coast where we are and uh, we'll get you we'll get you meetings. We'll get you auditions. It's pilot season. And I'd never done that. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And I worked also in hospitality, like literally up until the pandemic. So that's been my quote unquote survivor survival job, you know, for since I was 16 years old. So it was the first time that I took time off from that to go out there and just take a giant leap of faith and trust these total strangers, um, you know, to come through with sort of these promises. And I crashed with a friend from high school and yeah, nothing rolled in. Literally nothing came from them. But I will also say that just like rejection, I'm very used to people not handing you anything. So like in life, but also in this industry, you have to make your own way. So I am my own best advocate. I have to go out and get my own jobs. I have to be the one being proactive in getting myself meetings and networking and putting myself in the rooms. And so you know, I, it's not like I sat back and just waited for things to roll in. I was also actively, you know, looking at the LA market and saying, okay, I can submit on these websites out here. You know, I know how to do this and asking, you know, friends like my friend that I was staying with or people that I knew who would, I started with in New York who were in LA, like, Hey, um, do you know anyone I can have coffee with while I'm here? Like who's in the, you know, and just like literally reaching out. And so yeah, I made my own meetings and I did book a couple of things out there. It did definitely did not look like what I thought it was going to look like. Um, but that's okay. I think if you can shift your perspective, um, and, you know, see sort of what you've got in front of you and readjust your expectations and, you know, keep an open mind, then really, you mentioned you're someone who approaches things from a posture of curiosity. I have a very similar mindset, like, okay, so this isn't what it's going to look like, but like, what if I could make it into this other thing? And I think that's what made that trip. And that makes my career so fun and worth it at the end of the day. I love that. It's that posture. First of all, I've never heard someone say posture of curiosity, which is great. I was just talking to somebody recently about how they learned how to surf over the pandemic and how they may have never learned how to surf, but it was like, I had all this time and I lived by the beach and I just like went and sat in the ocean all day long on a board and they didn't have to not miss a job or do anything. And it went, man, like to think about, they could have sat in their apartment and just been bitter and watched Netflix and done whatever, but they chose to do something else. And now they have this passion. 
And I think like, that's, that's what I hear from you too, is, Hey, I get to choose how I'm going to take all this rejection, right? I could take it personal. I can change everything about myself. We were talking about before we started recording your hair color. It's like, well, if it's my hair color, then every week I have to change my hair because I don't, I don't actually know what people are going to want versus you choosing to look at it. However you want to look at it and you getting to be who you want to be. Also the, I love that you kind of said that you actually worked in hospitality right up into the pandemic, because I think there's an illusion. I grew up in LA, so I was around like Hollywood and entertainment stuff kind of my whole life without being in it. And when I was in the hospitality business, I was like one of the only people that wasn't in that world that was actually in it because I wanted to open restaurants and do that. But I was surrounded by this. And I think there's this illusion, unfortunately, that affects a lot of people that like, oh, if I see you on HQ trivia, or if I see you on an infomercial, you just must be like racking in the money. And to think that like, hey, you were on HQ trivia and you were still, what, were you bartending or? I was bartending. Yeah. And like two different bartending jobs too. Like, but I'm also, I have that hustler mentality. So yes, there is the illusion and 100%. I think people think this happens all the time with big commercials, right? They see you doing something for a big product or like, yeah, HQ is super hot. Or like I've done a show on the CW. I was, you know, they see, I had a commercial. I remember that was airing during Wimbledon. I had stuff airing during the bachelor. They're like, oh my gosh, you're killing it. And in reality, people don't understand a couple of things about the business. One, some of these just facts about the business, like, some of these big time brands are um, hiring non-union actors. I'm what's called FICOR, which means I can do union and non-union work. Um, but that means that if they're doing non-union spots, you're not getting the residuals that people think you are. Like that just doesn't exist. So I could be doing a commercial for Google or Coca-Cola and they've shot the whole thing non-union. You could see it during The Bachelor and you could see it a gazillion times. I'm not making any extra money because you're seeing it a gazillion times. It really depends on the situation. So like, I, I definitely try to, you know, teach that and educate people on my social media platform because, you know, I think it's a very common misconception. Oh, you must be killing it. Um, You must be making all this money. And like, sure, I do decent. I'm not saying that it's like, I went in and I made pennies, but like, it's certainly not what people think. Um, and also, yes, most of the people that I know in this business who are working actors, which means, um, you know, you're, <laughs> you're working, you're not necessarily a Hollywood A-lister, but you're pretty consistent and, and sometimes not like, that's the other thing. I have friends who have been series regulars on things and then they won't work for like three, four years because they can't get anything. I'm more kind of flying under the radar. I'll get something that'll pop up for a minute, but I'm working all the time. And even when I was working all the time as an actor, I still was working in hospitality because A, I'm of the mentality that it's like, well, if I can, like physically, mentally, if I'm able to do it, I might as well. Like how how long am I going to be of the age where like I can actually physically be capable of like racking in that New York bartending money? So I was always like, let's just do it until I can't and save. But also like I, for many, many years could not have supported myself just off of what I was making in entertainment. Fortunately, like the pandemic gave me that opportunity because I had no choice. Like literally everything shut down as we know. So I didn't have my two bartending jobs anymore. I didn't have any of anything. So I was unemployed for like six months. And then a a job, you know, came in across my lap essentially because of HQ stuff and people had seen me in that and it turned into something. And like right now, I actually don't, I was approached by one of the jobs to come back as a bartender. And I am finally for the first time in my life choosing not to go back and seeing what happens if I dive in 100% to a creative career. I love that. Can I, I want to say something about it, but I also want to know, can we, can you say where you worked in New York? Um, sure. I'm debating. Uh, Well, I'm, I'm curious for myself because I opened, I, I moved, I left New York four years ago, but I lived in New York for five years and opened. I don't know if you're familiar with Calexico. Um, 
it's like Cal- there's like Lower East Side, Upper East Side. Um, there's the California Mexican food, but we had a restaurant in Greenpoint, Red Hook, but I opened their restaurant. So I was living in New York for five years. Um, I mean, you know, New York scene is, is huge. I don't know if I know those places. You'll know the ones that I, well, you'll at least know a couple because they also have LA locations. So I worked at the standard for many years. I worked Mm -hmm. at catch for many Mm -hmm. years. And then I also worked at, do you know, Brooklyn Mirage? No. Okay. Well, if you come to New York, you got to check that. That venue is insane. It will blow your mind. It is like an outdoor castle, 10,000 person capacity. Um, They have some of the biggest names in, you know, dance music. I mean, beyond dance, hip hop too, but it's sort of artist based. Um, But yeah, incredible, incredible, you know, music and just vibe. Really, really cool. So did you ever have the you're working and someone goes, you're the girl from HQ or like any, you know, right. Like any of these other things. Yes. And honestly, the first, when it, when it happened for a long time, I was embarrassed, which is so messed up. Yeah. That's why I'm curious. Uh, Messed up because it's like, why do I feel shame for that? Like why? And I don't know. Like I looked at that and like, part of it was really cool. Like, cause they would want pictures then it was weird. It was just this weird juxtaposition because it's like, they're looking up to me, but I felt like I am like their servant. Like Mm -hmm. I am serving them. They are paying me for a service. It was very strange. Also privacy safety type stuff. I was, that's why I sort of never revealed where I was working because I didn't really want people to come and find me. Um, this now I'm letting this go into the universe. That's why I'm like, all right, I am going to say that I'm not going back to these places because I don't need that. Um, and that's why I can put it out there. But yeah, I mean, it was a very strange feeling. I don't, I don't think I ever really sat. I was able to sit in it and enjoy it. It's, it's so I'm asking you because I, I have some similar when I decided when I was I I call myself like a recovering asshole as like, I realized like, you know, the, the bar life, the drinking, the, the, like the whole, everything that goes along, like, you know, then, and I've talked about it on the show a lot. I don't need to go into it. But like, when I realized like, I can't live like this, I need to change my life. And I found like transformational and personal development work and like, oh my God, I'm going to do something. Not only am I going to do it for myself, but I'm going to learn how to do it so I can do this with other people. And, um, my first coach was like, why are you not leaving your job in the restaurant business? And I was a director of operations at this point. Um, And it was right. It was just fear. There was nothing. I wasn't worried about being homeless or not being able to have food. And I decided to quit. And I gave myself like, basically I I started this. And then I was like three months in, I was like, I'm quitting my job and I'm going all in. And I was living in New York city. I didn't have enough money to like, you know, pay for things. And I remember people were like, this is crazy. Why not build up your practice, build up your business, you know? And then kind of like have it support you on the side. And I just had this knowing that like, if I have an out, if there's a freeway off ramp that I can get off of to escape the challenging moments, I will take it. I need to close all of the exits and be all in and just go, there is no opportunity to not have this work out. I have to make it work out. And it took two years till I was actually like making enough money that it was fine. But like in those two years I struck, it was challenging. And I didn't go back. I wouldn't let myself go back into restaurants, but now we're like six, seven years later. And I, I call up the same cousin I was talking to earlier and I go, I think I want to bartend. And she goes, so do it. And I'm like, she's like, why? And I'm like, I still relate to it as the most fun job I've ever had. Like, I don't want to go out to a bar or a club as a guest. Like I like being behind the bar and like having that. And like, I just like doing it. And I go, I don't even kind of want the money. I almost like would donate the money to charity. It's not about money. It's about like, I would like to do it for fun. And she goes, great. Like, why don't you? And the first thing that I thought of is to your that shame thing of what if I'm bartending and one of my clients who pays me as their coach, who, you know, they're very successful were to walk in and it's like, why is my coach a bartender? And, and and I remember like just this, this is a new idea, but like, wait, why do I feel shame about this? I want to do it for fun. I don't need the money. It's not a, this isn't a bad thing. Being a server or a bartender is not a bad thing. 
It's in super fact, interesting. Let me just say, you can make a shit ton. Can I curse on here? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can make a shit ton of money. I made a very good living bartending at those places that I was. Um, totally. And yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's so strange. And it's like, even as you're talking about this and you're feeling the need, like I can hear your justification, right? Like I don't, I'm just doing it for fun. And it, like, that's, it's, yeah. I would often say like, I don't even need the money because like you, I, even for me, like, again, I really didn't need the money for the last couple of years I was doing it. I was just doing it because of fear. And yeah, that, that I was coming from sort of that like scarcity mindset instead of abundance. And I was just like, well, what if the entertainment stuff dries up? Like what if, um, plus it's just like what I was used to is my comfortability cloak. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I, I still felt the need that like, I just felt like people were looking down on me anytime I would, you know, be with family and they'd be like, Oh, you're still bartending. Ooh, ooh. Just gives me the, yeah. I, 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 I hate that. I feel that way about it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for diving into this. Cause it is like a really, I wonder what other people have this feeling. Like, I wonder if there's CEOs sitting out there that run fortune 500 companies or, you know, are doing like what, what a lot of people would look up to in the business world that really are just like, I just want to paint with watercolors and no one will let me because it seems like childish or something. Right. Or somebody that's like, I just want to write poetry or look, I bet there's people that are up there that are like, I wish I could be a comedian or an actor. Somebody was telling me recently that there's a, um, I wish I remembered who it was, but there's a CEO of a finance, like a big financial firm who's also a DJ. And it's kind of like people know, but they don't know. But it's like the person does not need to be a DJ. They love DJing. It's like their their passion, but they're one of the top people at a huge financial firm. And I was like, was that different or is being a DJ like it's that's <laughs> some cool factor to I mean, I guess people also this is right. This is our perception of what other totally. people are thinking about us because yeah. I also know that people truly looked at me and were like, Oh, that's so badass that you're a bartender. Like they would, I, I you know, I'd have followers on social media be like, Oh, what's your favorite? How do you make an old fashioned? Like, you know, people loved it where, and it's just my lens that I'm putting mm -hmm. over it. That is coloring it with like, yeah, this feeling of like shame. But I was going to, when you said that, you know, Shaq is a DJ too, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, I feel like there's a cool factor. See, he actually came, he performed at Brooklyn Mirage and I got to watch him DJ while I bartended there. Okay. I didn't know Shaq was like a, like a DJ that like got to perform. <laughs> I thought it was like, I didn't, yeah, he's like a oh. legit DJ. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Um, I've the, oh, I've bartended for, um, what's his name? Um, man, the guy who like pours and spits tequila on everyone. Um, Steve Aoki. I've bartended for Steve Aoki at a place uh, like 10 years ago, um, which was pretty wild to watch him like spit tequila off a DJ, like off a set onto somebody and then be and me standing there like I would not be OK with that. I don't care. Disgusting. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't care. Michael Jordan doesn't get to spit tequila. on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny. Like there's certain things, but I, I really do admire that you like talk about it because I think in the Hollywood industry, in the music industry, specifically those two, there is a lot of shame around like, I'm still waiting tables or I'm still bartending. And I wish, and I bet it bleeds out because I, I would assert that there's a ton of people with a ton of big dreams that give up on their dreams because they're like, I'll just take that job that like makes me look professional to my friends, my family, instead of I'll do what I need to do to go for that thing that I want, right? Like I'll bartender, I'll wait tables or I'll work at a store, but like whatever I'll do, I'm going to do it or I'll nanny, right? Like whatever I'll nanny until I can do that thing that I want. And it, this thing is a, it's access to it. Whereas if I go and I work, you know, my 40, 50 hour a week, nine to five, I kind of close the doors. I just settle into something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about like some stuff that you've overcome because we basically like had a lot of fun, I feel like up until this point. And I know that you have you've overcome some things in terms of like alcoholism and sobriety. And then we're and we're talking about being in the bar world. Um, and without kind of saying, is this would you say that like dealing with, you know, especially alcohol in the bar world and, and your relationship? I want to hear about it. But 
Is this one of the toughest like things that you've had to deal with or overcome in your life? Um, yeah, for sure. I would say, you know, it really went hand in hand with my ability to pursue my dream or lack thereof, I should say. Um, and you know, when I was in my twenties working in nightlife in New York city, um, as you probably know, when you work in nightlife, like you are surrounded by people who are doing a lot of the same things you are. So it's a lot of people who are probably undiagnosed, um, alcoholics and addicts who, I don't know, will just never find their way, um, in getting, you know, the kind of help that I got. Um, and so it's easy to justify your behavior when you have people around you who are doing the same type of thing. And it's also a very like cyclical sort of <laughs> lifestyle. So it's like, you're waking up late, you're going to your shift, you're going out after your shift and you're going to bed late and then you're doing it all over again. And there's like not, even if you're someone who isn't hungover or whatever, let's say you're a great drinker, right? You, or you can control your drinking or whatever it is, you're normal. It's still that extra energy you just don't have available to you because you are getting swept into this like circuitous thing. And so for me, I was still pursuing my dream as an actor, but I wasn't giving it what I could have been giving it. I wasn't allowing myself to reach my full potential because I, you know, was, yeah, I was I don't even want to say deep into drugs and alcohol. I think there's such a misconception that it's like, I was what people would say is like a very functional addict alcoholic. So I really believed at the time that like, if I looked good on the outside, then I was doing just fine. And like, I was taught that at home I was taught. I mean, like that's, I, that's what I, something I learned at home. Like, you know, I come from a family of alcoholics who also presented like the perfect family. So it's like, if you are showing people that you are successful, you can show up to work on time, you're you're likable, you're good at what you do, you're smart, you dress well, like all of those things, those boxes, you can tick them off, then like no one really thinks you have a problem. And it's easy to tell yourself you don't have a problem too. And so it took it took years of me just getting more and more spiritually depleted, right? Like I just wore myself down. And like, I don't, even when I finally did get sober, like a lot of people in my life were like, huh, wait, why you don't need to get sober. The only like one or two people very close to me, one was, is my partner was like, had gotten to a point where he was like, I can't watch you do this to yourself anymore. Like I, you have so much potential and you're not, you're killing yourself like a slow killing yourself. Um, and it just makes me sad. It just makes me sad to watch you do that. And like, you know, I don't, don't get me wrong. I definitely had sort of circumstances that were like, quote unquote bottoms. Like I had my moments that I can point to that. I'm like, oh yeah, that is classic alcoholic or addictive behavior. Um, so I'm not saying just because I presented well on the, all the time, but a lot of my my really emotional stuff and my, the stuff that was like, I don't know, really hard was in secret. Like it was, it was behind closed doors. Um, and I was just tackling a lot of it myself. Um, so yeah, I think to actually get to a point where I was able to admit that I had a problem to myself, to other people and ask for help. Like that is a huge thing. A lot of us don't, I mean, I'll speak for myself. It's hard for me to ask for help. I want to, I want to manage everything. I want to control everything. I feel like I can do it all myself and no one else can do it better than me, which is crazy. It's super crazy. And I've had to let go a lot of my like old sort of limiting beliefs in order to, you know, move forward and grow particularly along like sober lines. But yeah, I think asking for help, admitting sort of like powerlessness over this thing and my gen like unmanageability, like was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I'll never forget it. It came in sort of the form of a text that I sent my dad, who at the time was probably about two years sober. 
And I was wasted by myself. I used to love to just like (laughs) get hammered and read books. Like again, not what you think of when you think of an alcoholic, I would just like get wasted and I would read. Like I love crime thrillers. I would just stay in bed and read crime thrillers. And I was hammered and I was sad. And I texted my dad, um, are you happy now? And it's because I was asking him if by getting sober, he was able to be a happier person. And that was my like cry for help. And after that, I started, you know, he basically came and got me and I started recovery. Wow. Um, Thanks for sharing that. I think I I love that it doesn't have to be right. Like that you like ran somebody over with your car or that you like, you know, kept cheating on your partner because you were drunk, like, or that you, you know, didn't show up to your job. That addiction looks like so different and it's not a black or white. There's like a pendulum. It's like a scale and what someone might be able to do and be fine. Someone else, it's not, that's not realistic or possible for them. Um, I'm curious about, was alcoholism a way for you not to have to be perfect? Was that like the, you, it like the escape? I think I used it for a number of things. Like first it was, it was a re, it was the first thing that ever helped me make it. It was the first thing that ever made me feel comfortable in my own skin. So mm-hmm. like, I'll never forget that like first moment when I was in high school And, you know, I was at, I was, I was a good kid. I was valedictorian in my high school and, you know, I was with all, and, and I had friends, but I never really felt like I had a good friends, right? Like I was friends with like all these groups of people, like the theater kids, like some of the popular kids, like some of these other kids. And, but I never really felt like I had my one good friend. I always felt like everyone was better friends with each other than they were with me. And I was very like hyper aware of like the way that I was presenting myself. And so when I finally like had my first drink at a party, I remember like just feeling like I could finally relax, you know, like I could just like be myself. I wasn't judging every single thing I was doing and I could just like finally like breathe. And so I think that's like the first thing. And I I think that I, I used it for that a lot of times. Yeah. To like, turn my brain off. Like my brain is so busy. And now I've had to come up with sort of like a spiritual toolkit that works for me the same way that alcohol used to. But like, I don't get to at this point anymore, just like take a drink, take a pill, take smoke a joint in order to shut it off. I need to do other things um, that are action based um, that are not pertaining to substances to do that. Cause yeah, my brain just won't literally, it won't shut the fuck up. And so the only way I knew how to turn it off at the time was by using some sort of substance. It's I love, and I know people feel like this all the time when we, when people reflect or say things that like, we're like, Oh my God, I'm not the only one, right? Like that you have this, And I'm totally with you. I felt actually exactly the same for most of my life. Like, I think people looked at me and I was like, uh, often like the popular kid or was with the popular kids, but I never actually felt like I was actually with them or like that. I was like really good friends with them. Even if they would have said, what do you mean? We were like so close. I didn't feel that connection, but I feel like that was because I didn't feel connected with myself. So how can you also feel connected with someone else? And I'm totally with you. It's why I liked one of the reasons I loved bartending. You had like a fake, you had a barrier between you and the party that gave you some semblance of control that allowed like my brain to turn off and not have my brain be analyzing everything and everyone and all the things all the time. Um, I, and, and again, like if we look at spectrums, like I feel very lucky, like I don't have a, if I can just stop drinking and not have a thing. And I've used personal development, spirituality, all these things to go, wait, now I don't deal with my feelings with booze or drugs. Now I, I still drink, but it's like a, Hey, let's go get drinks and have fun, like on a Saturday. And then I might not drink for however long, but it's like a very, it's a, it's an, it's a conscious choice, not an avoidance mechanism. And we started this with dating, right? This whole thing with me preambling about dating. That's where I do the like avoidance. 
if I'm sad, I'll go on like a million dates to avoid being sad. So I had to take that away, right? Like I took it out of my own hands. So like, hey, you can't do that anymore. And doing the work to like change that behavior with myself, but not allowing myself to like have that continuing the pattern that's unserving. Um, but I love that you said that like comfortable in my own skin. Cause I think like, I think a lot of people feel like that. And I think we feel like that when we're young, but then we get older and we keep feeling like it because that's the lens that we see life through. Um, there's so much. Um, I want to, I'm trying to think where like, I want to go here. Cause like, I want to ask you random questions about hosting because I've never had someone who's like a professional host and I have no host training and I don't know what I'm doing. And I've only learned how to do what I'm doing over like three or 400 podcasts. So I want, I want to go there, but I also just, before we even like stop there, is there anything else that you feel like needs to get touched on around like what you've overcome and your family that like people listening that, you know, maybe would make a difference for them if they heard it, that maybe something you didn't get to hear? Hmm. Well, you know, I think we already touched on the asking for help is not really weakness. It's a sign of strength. Um, I also just am such a, a couple other things that are just really important to me. I think one is, um, being open about your experience. Um, you know, being able to share your experience, something that might have like you, you carried shame for, right? Like at one point I carried a lot of shame for things we talked about already, um, for, you know, you know, some of my behavior when I was drinking and using, um, and that stuff is now my superpower because I talk about it. So like, if you're, if you can get vulnerable and honest with yourself and then in turn with others, like, your shame can truly become your superpower. And I think that's like the most beautiful thing. And I guess like the last thing would be, and I don't know how this really ties into, I think it ties into more of the journey to LA that we started on, but I think, you know, we as a control freak, um, who is working to get better at letting things go. Um, I think this posture of curiosity and approaching life as an adventure and not thinking you need to figure everything out, just taking sort of the next right action um, and being a good human and following your heart and um, just being open to an experience. Like I, I, in my story, most of the incredible stuff that's happened to me that I've gotten to live through hasn't been at all what I thought was going to happen. And I, could not have even believed to have envisioned that for myself. Like I couldn't, my brain, all of our brains like are so limited. And like, I think if you can just continue to sort of approach your entire life as an adventure from this posture of curiosity, you can be truly blown away by what can happen for you. So beautifully said. Um, how do I be a better host? What's like your, give me like, just, just, you know, shame me, put me in my place. Tell me all the things, give me the tips, whatever you got. I'm so curious. I don't know. I'm going to be honest. Like I, I, I'm really just judging on the experience that I've had today. Um, gosh, hosting, you know, I, I love hosting because and I, I've been talking about this a lot lately, uh, being on set with other actors. They're like, oh, Sarah, like, do you want, are you want to go the hosting route now? Is that what you're doing? And like, you know, I don't care. Again, if I limit my experience by saying I want to do this or that, hosting and acting, they both make me happy, right? At the end of the day, they bring me joy. And the, the thing that I love about hosting is like, I am just me, right? I am, it's still like, I'm acting, but like I'm acting as myself. I get to just bring all of the sides of me or whatever sides I want to bring to that conversation that I'm having. And in the same way that acting for me is like helping to tell stories, whether it's a writer's story, a director's story, you know, this character's story, it's the same thing with hosting. You're helping other people. Your job is to serve as a vessel to sort of like help somebody else, empower them to tell your story. Um, and so I love, I mean, I just think it's so beautiful. And I feel like with the premise of your podcast and what you do, 
um, and bringing people on to share their stories. I mean, I think, I think you already, I think you're doing a pretty good job. I'd give you a good grade because like, here's the deal. Like we, we got to do our preparation as hosts, right? You got to know who you're talking to. You got to know some of like what you might want to ask a little bit about their background. But at the end of the day, I think the best segments that I've done, conversations that I've had are when I just kind of let it flow. And like, if there seems to be a point where it's something that that person is passionate about, there's something there, you got to sort of just go off the cuff and like, let them lead. And of course you can bring the conversation back. And then that's why you have your preparation to sort of bring it back. Um, but I think like, that's, that's the main part of it. Your, your job is to help the other person shine that you're talking with, um, generally speaking, and not need to be the spotlight all of the time. Um, and to really just like help guide and moderate. And I, I feel like, I don't know, is that a cop-out answer that you're doing a good job? I don't know. Do you feel like a Pantene Pro V hair bouncy shine commercial right now? Did I, do you... <laughs> I mean, yes, cause my hair looks amazing, but, um, you know, yeah, I just, I feel like I've gotten, I've had a pretty natural conversation that's been very engaging. I've gotten to talk about things that are important to me. Um, I also love when you talk, you know, when you get to have a conversation that you've had probably many times, but it feels new. Um, and I think a lot of that just comes from, again, letting it go where it's going to go or like, you know, you didn't necessarily know we were going to talk about hospitality today. And then you're like, oh, shoot, we got something in common here. Like, well, let's see where this leads. Um, and so that intersectionality of hospitality and being working as a bartender and also being an addict slash alcoholic, like that's something that I haven't talked about too much yet. And like, it's great. It's great. So, I mean, I just think, I think you've done your job. Thank you. Thanks. I, at first I was like, is she dodging this question? Does she not want to give me feedback? <laughs> um, I'm not going to give you feedback just for the sake of feedback. I'm trying to think totally. of anything that I would. Um, I yeah, don't you know. don't. The you don't have thing, to. The only thing, the only thing, but this Go is this it. is on me because you, when you prepped me for this, uh, you know, like right when we came into the room, you're basically like, okay, I'm gonna start off and like chime in if you want, but you'll hear when you when I introduce you. Maybe I don't know. I, I there were moments that I wanted to jump in and I could have. <laughs> So again, like that just might be on me for just like waiting for my intro. You gave me permission to do so. So I don't know. Cool. Well, I think, thank you for, thank, thanks for what you just said. And I, and I, I'm, I love hearing it from you. Cause I think again, having no training, not knowing what I was doing, literally starting this podcast three and a half years ago from like, if I try to get it right and figure it all out, I'll never do it. Just start. And when I go back and listen to the ones, the first, you know, even 20, 30 episodes, I'm like, Oh my God, like it's unbearable. And I, and I teach people now how to do some of this from a standpoint is like, just start, like, just start. You're going to, you can't learn, you can't learn how to ride a bike by, by reading a book. You got to get on the bike and like fall off. But I like that what you point to as it's one of the reasons like I hate acting. Like if somebody's like do a reel or a skit on social media, like that's not, it feels like I, I'm not good at being somebody else. I'm good at being the dynamics of myself. And I actually really like being the dynamics of myself. And to your point, like that's part of your job as a host is like, Hey, act like yourself. But I want to say like the louder versions, the shinier versions, but also how do you lend that to not take over, right? Like you're the, you're the featured item. And it's, you know, it's like, I'm a white plate and you're the dish on the, you're the actual like beautiful dish on the plate. You don't want to focus too much on the plate. Um, and to your point, I love the idea of like not over prepping, right? Like knowing, like I fall, I started following you on social media. I started watching your videos, but it wasn't like this. I did a research project and wrote a dissertation about who you were in advance. It was like, I need enough to understand also the vibe, right? Like what if you had been like very conservative or very, very modest and I couldn't maybe starting with that dating conversation would have just like totally taken you out. Mm -hmm. um, I had this sense of like, I can kind of bring anything to this woman and she's going to worst case, she's going to like sling it back at me. Absolutely. I mean, you're spot on <laughs> for sure. 
Is there anything else that you, I, our time has like flown by. I know you, you just came off like a super busy night. I don't want to keep you. And I should preface like shoot a super busy night of like filming. You, you weren't out partying. Um, is there anything you want to leave people with any kind of like set last, like last words that you want to say? I feel like I got most of them out. You know, I think, you know, if we have a motto for today's show, it's definitely sort of like, take the action, right? Act, do it. Like, if as long as again, like if you're, you're being a good person, and you're just do the thing, just do the thing, see what happens. And then, you know, reassess if you need to, you know, I think, I think being able to shift your perspective and as you deal with things as they happen, like, but you got to just take the chance. Like a lot of this, the opportunities I've had are just from taking chances. The, the very busy shoot that I came off of or night that I came off of, it is not, again, here's, here's a cold, hard fact. I was doing a feature film and I made $125 for like a, got a 10 hour shoot. I'm clearly not doing that for the money. Like I'm doing it because I believe in this artist's vision. Um, and like that, that, that was a case where I'm like, should I do it? Should I not do it? Like what I'm, this is a crazy week. And I'm like, you know what? I really want to be on set with these people. I think they're making really cool stuff and I'm just going to go. And like, if I'm tired, I'm going to be tired and I'll figure it out. And like, if it's not worth my time in the end, then so be it. But I won't know unless I do it. And so that that's, I think, really does sum up sort of this this episode today. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Thanks for not, you know, showing up in, you know, with whatever you had, you know, the late night and like getting stuff done and like all of your commitments. I love the idea that like, hey, we're when the bigger your life gets, the more commitments you have. And somebody that lives a great life finds ways to empower all of the things they're committed to. They don't just like knock some off. They they find ways to like, hey, as my life gets bigger, everything I get bigger with it and my integrity gets bigger and my, and all of that. So thanks for doing that. I want to tell people where to find you. Um, I follow you on Instagram, which is where you put like, a, you get really kind of like get to see, I, I feel like who you are, like you show a lot of your personality. It also shows like what you're up to. Um, I'm going to spell your name for people if they don't know how to spell it. Sarah is S-A-R-A-H-P-R-I-B-I-S. They can also find you at at HQ trivia on Instagram or social that pays, um, on Instagram. Also, is there somewhere else? Is there like a website or anywhere else that you, I know you, you said you have a podcast too. I know we actually just, we just did our last episode. We had it for two years, but listen, y'all, if you have any desire to hear what it's like pursuing a career in media or entertainment, and even if you don't, but maybe want some of the anecdotes and all of this stuff that we've really talked about today, the we've done episodes on trolls and rejection, um, you know, and then of course, helpful tools to get started or to create your own content, all things like that. It's called living the damn dream. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. I co-hosted it with um, a sports broadcaster, a friend of mine, uh, Mike Janella. So we come from, you know, two different angles. Um, but yeah, we just wrapped two years worth of episodes and really it just because <laughs> We're too busy living the damn dream to be doing it anymore. Um, but across all the socials, I'm at Sarah Prabus, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have a new show on social that pays, which is basically a social media app called Display. We just launched um, and I talk to all types of creatives. So you can totally check that out as well. Thanks for the vulnerability, the sharing, the the having fun with me, the digging into, you know, the things that have been challenging, like shame and alcoholism and how that plays into your family. Um, but also the weird stuff about like why it's awkward to be like getting successful in one area and still be in another area. Uh, I just really appreciate your like candor, your vulnerability, your play, like the levity all at the same time. Um so I'm sorry that you're not going to be going to Tulum with me. You sound like you have a wonderful partner, super supportive. Um, you can tell him that you got invited to Tulum and that, you know, that he must be doing something right. Um, but thank, thank you for being here with me and entertaining me. Um, and all the, the nuggets that you have, uh, the nuggets of brilliance that you've had for the audience. 
Um, yeah, I'm just super grateful. I had a really good time and everyone, Oh, go ahead. I think you were going to, I was just going to say, thanks for having me. (laughs) Everyone listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting this podcast. Thanks for supporting the guests. Please go check out Sarah, um, and all the things she's up to. Somebody, you know, needs to hear this episode, whether it be about alcoholism or acting or vulnerability or not feeling good in their own skin or whatever, whatever subjects we hit, like share this episode with one person that it could like make a difference for in their lives. You never know like the difference it could make for someone. And if you want to know more about the opportunity to go to Tulum, so crazy that like, this is a thing, uh, go to the dreammason.com slash the Tulum trip. And there's details. You can also go to my social media, inspirational Alex and find out more, but, um, yeah, there's going to be more. We're going to be talking about this for a little while, I think. Sarah, thanks again. And um, we'll see you all listeners next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream. And I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.